0: a God who is just and righteous and holy, that is a huge issue. It's a huge problem. And the question is, how in the world is it possible for me to be innocent in the sight of this God who is really there? How can I be accepted? How can I be forgiven? How can I be declared innocent? How can I be declared positively righteous? And Paul's whole point, his whole thrust is that I can be, I mean, I really and truly can be accepted, reconciled, declared righteous, declared innocent in the presence of a holy God because of what Jesus did. Because of what Jesus did. As I accept and receive it by faith. Not because of who I am, not because of what I do, but because of who Jesus is and what he does. That's it. That's how I'm accepted. But what we've done through these, uh, well, through a couple of weeks ago, and and what we're going to do today and, and then again next week, is just sort of camp on Abraham as the example of this. Abraham is the first one in the scriptures who is declared righteous by faith. Not on the basis of who he is or what he does, but simply because he believes God, he believes what God has said, and he believes specifically that God is going to do what God said he was going to do, and that is send a redeemer. And Abram is the model of faith. And so there are three things that I'm suggesting that we look at, uh, three really, really key things to observe, the nature of faith, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, and then today the growth of faith, and then the outcome of faith. Nature of faith, growth of faith, and the outcome of faith. And today we want to look at the growth of faith. And if you look with me at verses 18 to 21, you'll see in this text that Paul says this very thing. Abraham's faith grew. And the thing we want to wrestle with is how does it grow? How does faith grow? Okay? So verse 18. In hope he, Abraham, believed against hope. Remember the bad fact pattern? We're going to see it again. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith. As he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he, God, had promised. What he, God, had promised. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Um, You've made great and precious promises to us. Peter tells us that. You've made great and precious promises to us. Help us to understand how it is we actually can grow in believing. In believing, we pray. Help us to understand your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How do you grow in faith? How does this happen? Uh, You remember what faith is. You remember that faith is not just a bunch of ideas in your head, not a bunch of abstractions in your brain. You remember that faith is trust. And you remember, I trust that, That faith is belief in trusting in the promise and person of God. It is trust in his word. It is trust in what he has said. And ultimately, it is me entrusting myself to him. But the focus of this thing, the center of this thing for us, is his word and his promise. And five times in verses 13 to 21 in chapter 4 of Romans, this word or phrase Promise or the promise is used. It's mentioned five times. The promise is what God has said, it is His word. And the promise was that Abraham would have a son, and that through this son, the whole world would be blessed, he would have many descendants, he would be given a land. And Genesis 15 tells us that Abram believed God, believed his promise, entrusted himself to his word. And, and that promise regarding descendants and, and regarding a son and all of that comes to its culmination in Jesus. And Jesus himself says in John 8, 56, that Abram was looking ahead to Jesus, to Jesus. Jesus himself said, let me just remind you, Abram rejoiced to see my day, my day, and he saw it and was glad. On the other side of the cross, on the other side of the cross, Abram believed in Jesus, believed in the promise of the coming Jesus, was looking for the fulfillment of the promise, was looking to the Son, And so the first thing that we've said about faith is that faith is trust. It is trust in the word of God, the promise of God culminating in Jesus. It is, in fact, entrusting myself to God as he reveals himself in his word. Second thing we've said, and this is where we remember the bad fact pattern, faith is realistic. Faith is not uh, just a kind of an optimism. It's not just a hopefulness. It's not just a... uh, things will work out kind of a thing. It's very realistic. Abram looked at his own body, the text tells us. He looked at Sarah's body. He saw a bad fact pattern. Okay, these people were not fools. They were not idiots. They know how babies are made. And I don't mean to be indiscreet, but I'll just say it again. Don't mean to be indiscreet. But this involves shriveled ovaries, no more eggs, and even if Abraham could, Sarah couldn't. Bad fact pattern. And the text tells us that Abram did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, for he was about 100 years old, or the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Here's the point. There isn't anything in Abram's current experience that suggests that the promise will be fulfilled. Nothing in his current experience that suggests that he should believe that the promise would be fulfilled. And yet he continued to believe. He continued to believe. So we come to the second thing. How does faith grow? How does faith grow in the midst of a bad fact pattern? How does faith grow when everything in your life, everything you see, feel, taste, touch, how does faith grow when there isn't anything in you or around you that suggests that you should continue to believe, God. How does faith grow? Let me give you the principle, and I'm going to give you an illustration, and then we're going to look at Abram's life a little bit more closely. Here's the principle: Faith grows by believing. Faith grows by believing. Faith grows by believing as faith is refined and tested. Faith grows as faith being refined and tested is fed and nourished. That's the principle. Don't look for a pill. Don't look for a book. Don't look for a shortcut. Faith grows. Grows by faithing. Belief grows by believing. And belief grows by being refined and purified and by being fed and nourished. Here's the illustration, and then we'll look at Abram's life. The illustration is muscles. How do muscles grow? Muscles require two things if they're to grow. They need to be fed and nourished. You can do it with food, you can do it with over the counter stuff, you can do it with illegal stuff, you can use steroids. You can feed muscles legally and illegally. They need nutrients, they need protein, they need the stuff that causes muscles to grow. But listen, you can't sit in your lazy boy in front of a television set stuffing yourself with all kinds of nutrients and expect muscles to grow. You will grow, the muscles won't. <laughs> that's a part of the, I mean, that's a bit, I, you know, you see the articles, you see the stuff, obesity is a problem in the United States of America. We feed, but we don't refine, we don't test, we don't, this is a strong word, punish our muscles. you got to have two things. You have to muscle your muscles in order for your muscles to grow. You have to use them. You have to exercise them. You have to do something with the nutrients that are being pumped into your body. If you don't have the nutrients, you become exhausted, you wear down, you die. If you don't have the exercise, you become exhausted, you wear down, you die. You have to have nutrients and you have to have exercise. You've got to feed and nourish. You have to refine and purify faith. Folks, that's the way it works. That is the hard reality of the Christian life. That is why Abram is an example to us, not only of what it is to be justified by faith, this thing which God does, this declarative act of God in which he, on the basis of the finished work of Christ, received by faith, declares me, the sinner, innocent and righteous in his presence. Abram's an example of that, but Abram is is an example of what it looks like to live moment by moment, day after day, by faith, growing in faith. And let me tell you, it wasn't easy for Abram. It wasn't easy for Abram. It can't have been easy for Abram. Let me suggest to you how. Let's look at Abram's life for a minute. By the way, I have to tell you really quickly. I'm not going to tell you who said this, and I'm not going to do it. But somebody said in the acquires class, you know, I, I wish sometime that you would just take the clock off the wall and keep going. Because sometimes I get caught up in this thing, and I feel like we're all on a roll, and then it stops clock is there. I can see it. But there's a lot to say about this. You look at Abram's life. So let's look at Abram's life for just a couple of minutes and, and observe some things about Abram growing in his faith. I asked you a couple of weeks ago to read the story of Abram. It starts at the end of Genesis 11. It concludes in verse 8 of Genesis 25. 13 chapters and a couple of pieces of two other chapters. 373 verses. I read the story again last night. I think my math is good. I added it up. 373 verses that tell us the story of Abram from his birth to his death. You can read it in 30 minutes. Now here's some things to observe about it. Abram's life, those 373 verses, cover 175 years. Okay, you can read Abram's life in 30 minutes, it covers 175 years. The critical portion of Abram's life, beginning in the first verse of chapter 12 and concluding in verse 8 of chapter 25, the critical years of Abram's life are 100 years. From the time God first calls him to the time of his death, in verse 8 of chapter 25. 100 years. I didn't do the math to know how many days that is. I didn't do the math to know how many hours that is. I think I know how many months it is. I can do that math. It's 1,200. 100 years. Moment by moment, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year after year. And here's the second thing, and this is very important. If we're really going to understand and benefit from what God is doing as he sets Abram before us as a model of what it looks like to live by faith, across those 100 years, how many times... Did God speak to Abram? How many times? I think we have this idea. I shared this, I think, last Sunday or a couple of weeks ago in the evening. I think we have this idea. That from the time God first spoke to Abram, every morning before Abram brushed his teeth, before he had his breakfast, he got out of bed and had a conversation with God. And God said, Abram, this is what I want you to do today. This is where I want you to go. These are the people I want you to talk to. This is where I want you to plant If we're going to take the Bible seriously, then we have to take seriously the record of the fact that across 100 years, God spoke to Abram eight and possibly nine times. That is what is recorded in the scriptures, that God spoke to Abram eight times. And possibly nine times. And I say possibly nine because it depends on how you look at Genesis 18 and the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah and the visitation of the angels. Was that two conversations or was it one conversation? Let's give Abram the benefit of the doubt. Nine times across 100 years. And, and folks, most of the time, what is God saying to Abram? He's repeating himself. There's no new information. There may be sort of an enlargement, the addition of some details. But for most of that 100 years, in those times that God speaks to Abram, he's simply saying the same thing You'll have a son. You'll have a son. You'll have a son. You'll have a son. You'll have have descendants. God says you'll have more descendants than the stars in the heaven. God says you'll have more descendants than the the sand on the seashore. In Genesis 17, he says you'll have more descendants than the dust of the earth stars, sand, dust. All he's doing is elaborating what he has said, maybe adding some details, but no explanations, no new information across all of those years and years and years. Folks, what is happening? What is happening for Abram across all of those years? His faith is being tested. His faith is being refined. His faith is being purified. His faith is being directed more and more and more and more in the direction of the God who has spoken, who has given him this promise and away from False gods that cannot fulfill his deepest hopes and dreams. His faith is being purified. His faith is being tested. And his faith is being nourished more and more and more. He is being forced to entrust himself to the promise and the person of God. The promise, the promise, the word of God, the person of God and he's being asked to do that as continually he looks at his circumstances around him and nothing in his circumstances around him even begin to correspond to the promise the word of god the thing that god has said how does faith grow It grows by testing. It grows by being purified. It grows as faith is turned more and more and more in the direction of the God who is really there, who speaks, who makes promises, who himself is to be trusted. That's how his faith grows. Here's another thing. Think about this against all of these years. And maybe have alluded to this in the past, maybe mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. In some setting, I don't remember. Think of his names. His names. Now here he is, Genesis 12. You're going to have descendants. What does that mean? You've got to have one before you can have many. Right? I think. You've got to have one before you can have many. You have to have a son before you can have sons. What does Abram's name mean? It means exalted father. Exalted father. Everywhere he goes. Everywhere he goes. He's 75 years old when he hears it the first time. Then he's 80 years old. Then he's 85 years old. He's 85 years old before he and his wife, his wife actually, concoct this scheme that apart from what God has promised that he would do, they'd figure out a way to fulfill the promise. And so Sarah gives Hagar to Abram, and Abram has a child through Hagar. Now, across those 11 years from Genesis 12 to Genesis 16, everywhere Abram is being introduced as exalted father. Hi, my name's Abram. Hi, my name's exalted father. Hi, where are your kids? Where are your kids? Well, I I don't have any. I have a promise. Really? Really? You know, I've thought so many times, some of you know the name Randy Pope. Randy has been the pastor of a church in our denomination in Atlanta for, I don't know, more years than I've been alive, I think. I mean, he's been around forever. And I remember him telling the story of going to Atlanta to open a bank account, and he didn't have anybody who could kind of be a cosigner or whatever on this, and he's in this conversation with this teller, and he's telling her, well, I'm a pastor. Well, what's the name of your church? Well, we don't have a name yet. Well, where is your church? Well, we don't have an address yet. Well, do you have, where, are your, I mean, where do you meet? He said, well, well, I don't really have a church, but I'm going to have a church. <laughs> but I'm going to have a church. What's your name? Abram, exalted father. Where are the kids? Where are the grandkids? He's 85 years old. Not unreasonable to think he might have some great grandkids. Where are they? They don't exist. They're not, but I have a promise. I have a promise. Then you move deeper into his, into his life and his name gets changed. It gets changed from Abram to what? Abraham. What does Abraham mean? Father of a vast multitude. I mean, look, if Abram wasn't embarrassing, how embarrassing is Abraham? Abraham. Exalted father is one thing that's sort of an honorific. I mean, that's perhaps uh, language of respect, just acknowledging him in some generic sense as as an elder brother. We say these things when we go to our general assembly. People will introduce themselves and the first thing they'll say is fathers and brethren. I'm, I'm no longer a brethren. I'm now becoming a father when I go to general assembly. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a term uh, that honors a person. But here, father of a vast multitude, that gets more specific. Father of sons. Father of grandsons and granddaughters. Father of great, great, great grandsons. Where are they? There aren't any. Do you see this? Across all of these years, he continues to look at his circumstances, look at his life. He has this name and this name that gets changed. And all he has is a promise. A promise from the God who is really there. And across all of these years, his faith is purified, strengthened. His faith is turned more and more and more in the direction of the God who is really there and who has spoken this promise to him. Let's recognize one more thing. Let's recognize this. Abram's faith failed. It failed. It failed early on when he was going to turn his wife over to an Egyptian king because he cared more about preserving his own life than he did the integrity of his wife. You remember that? But let's remember that he did the same thing long after Genesis 15, long after Genesis 17, long after God has repeated the promise these several times. He did the same thing again with Abimelech in chapter 21. He's deep into the faith. He's deep into the faith. And he's willing to turn his wife over to a pagan king to save his own neck. His faith failed and even more ingloriously is that whole situation with hagar god had made a promise that abram and sarah would have children that is clear in genesis 12 his faith failed and here's really 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 something very interesting At the end of chapter 16, when Ishmael is born to Hagar, Abram is 86 years old. The next verse is verse 1 of chapter 17. And the first thing that is said about Abram is that he was 99 years old. Now listen, folks. There is an existential reality about this, an excruciating existential life reality about this. Abram fails. His faith fails. And God does not speak for 13 years. For 13 years. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But when I sin, there is something I don't want. And there is something I desperately want. When I sin, I don't want God to speak. And I do want God to speak. Because when I sin, and I do. When I sin, I am absolutely certain that my sin has sabotaged the promise of God. When I sin, I am absolutely certain that my sin has cut me off from the favor of God. Is it hard to imagine? I don't think I'm reading something into this. Is it hard to imagine that Abram, suffering through long, long years of childlessness, suffering through long, long years of having to believe God and trust himself to God when everything in his circumstances suggests that he is a fool and that he should do anything but entrust himself to God, and then he sins and repudiates God and repudiates the promise of God and repudiates all of God's goodness and grace and kindness to him, is it at all difficult to imagine across those 13 years that Abram would have said to himself on many, many occasions, here I am in a foreign land, cut off from my family, cut off from what is familiar to me, Called to follow a God whom I can't see, who has spoken to me four times, four times in 10, 15, 20 years. And I have sinned. I haven't heard from him. For two months, for two years, for six years, for eight years, for 11 years, I sinned. And I haven't heard from him. It's over. It's over. It's done. I have sabotaged and torpedoed the promise of God by my own sin and rebellion. you've got to read chapter 17 in that context because when God speaks again, what does he do? He repeats and enlarges the promise. He repeats and enlarges the promise. And he not only repeats and enlarges the promise for the first time, he speaks to and about Sarah. And he says to Abram in verse 16, something that is really, really, really stunning. This is Genesis 17, verse 16. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her, and this is why it is so much fun to do what I get to do. All of the translations that I'm familiar with translate that verb, give. I will give her a son, I will give you a son by her. They all translate it as future tense. And in the original, It is past tense. I have given her a son. I have given her a son. You see, what still remains future for Abram and Sarah is very present, very real, and very fulfilled for the God who makes the promise. And what God is saying to Abram and Sarah is simply this. Your sin hasn't nor can your sin sabotage my promise and my purpose to do for you and through you what I promise to do. And Abram believes God in the face of his circumstances and even in the face of his own sin. Abram grew in faith. Gosh, you see, I'm just not ready to stop. I'm sorry. Abram grew in faith as his faith was refined and purified and as God even gave him over on those three occasions at least, as God gave him over to his own foolishness, his own unbelief, his own stupidity to show Abram that he can't trust himself, he can't trust kings, he can't trust what anybody says, he can't trust his circumstances. There is one thing in the world he can trust. The promise of God, which for God is firm and fixed resolutely, undeniably, and forever. And no unbelief or disobedience of Abram will ever sabotage the promise of God. We had a little conversation this last week at the women's refuge on Friday morning. Someone asked the question, you know, a lot of us who come here have a real problem with trust. We haven't been able to trust. We have found that when we do trust, our trust is betrayed and we are deeply wounded and hurt. The gospel asks me to entrust myself to a God whom I cannot see. How am I supposed to trust him? And my answer to myself and to you, my dear friends, is that you live at a very different place from Abram. You live at a place where you are able to see the reason why you may trust God in the midst of a bad fact pattern, why you may believe his promise, why you may entrust yourselves to him. What you are able to see is what is set before you. The memorials of his broken body and his shed blood. Why do I have to preach to myself? Why am I glad to preach to you as Paul did the cross of Christ, Jesus Christ and him crucified because the cross is the fulfillment of the promise and it is before you. And this is why you may trust this God. He has given you his son by whose broken body and shed blood you have been restored to him. How does faith grow? It grows as it is tested and tried and it is nourished on the promise of God, fed on the promise of God. More and more, and more and more by God's grace. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, the cross is behind me and in front of these, your people. The table is before us all. Give us grace. Give us grace not to see the bad fact pattern, but give us grace to see the greatest fact, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, who is the evidence to us of your determination, your determination to fulfill every good purpose that you have for us. Help us to see this. In Jesus' name, amen.